Hope and I were married in May of 2007, which meant for years I had been single. I had been a bachelor. And my life was a, a lot different when I was a bachelor. When Hope and I got engaged, we began to have conversations about how things would be different for me and, uh, and her. And we found out some things. I, she, she let me know very quickly that I would not be living in the apartment that I lived in anymore. We don't need to live here. Now, I'm going to be transparent with you. I had a pretty sweet setup. I lived in an apartment that was made up of senior adult little old ladies. Uh, my grandmother lived in the apartment underneath me. She would show up from time to time, and by time to time, I mean two to three times a week, and she would do my laundry. Uh, yeah, it's, it was cool. And she would make sure that meals were, were taken care of. It was a really, really good deal. And Hope told me, Chad, we don't need to live with your grandmother. I tried to explain to her, I don't really live with my grandmother, but she said, you kind of do. Well... The transfer kept moving, and we began to look around my apartment, and she starts letting me know that there are certain things in there that just, they're not acceptable anymore. You would be shocked to know that my wife wanted to get rid of my broken-down recliner that was in that apartment. She also looked at my futon and said, Hey, this futon, this isn't really for me. I had this thing, this place where I was going to live. So, so eventually we, we wrap up, we get married. It was incredible. We go and we immediately, within days, we do a summer camp. I then move us into our home for the first nine years of our marriage. She's still with her mom and, and with her dad. Uh, just uh, over the course of the weekend, I'm moving everything in with her brother. She called me and she said, is the house clean? We're moving into a parsonage at a church. On, now, I'll be honest, I thought it was really clean. Oh, it's super clean. It's the cleanest place I've ever seen in my life. She comes in and she lets me know that's not true. Everything was undone, and my views of what this, these places should be were redefined and redesigned by this love that I had. When we get to Ephesians chapter 3, which is where we are this morning, we see that there is something that takes place when God begins to interact with our day-to-day -day lives. And we need to understand how that love is something that's really, really going to be difficult to understand at times. And if I'm going to give you a big idea to hold on to for this passage, and really any passage, it's this, that we need to understand that God loves us more than we can understand. We need God loves me more than I could ever understand how much He loves me. And then in this passage, you're going to see a breakdown of that. He's going to pray a couple of things. He's going to pray that we will know that. And that's in 16 through 19. He's also going to praise God because we are able to know that. He prays that we can, that we will know that God loves us more than we can ever understand. And he praises God because we have the opportunity to know that God loves us more than we could ever understand. 
It's a pretty powerful passage we're going to read through. Let me read verses 14 through 21. If, you're, if you have your Bible with you, it's great. Uh, if you don't have your Bible, it will be on the screen for you. It reads like this. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. I pray that He may grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with power in your inner being through His Spirit. And I pray that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width and height and depth of God's love. And to know Christ's love surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to Him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or we know or think according to the power that works in us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever Amen. When we go into the text, we begin to see that Paul is moving us the direction of understanding God's deep, immense love and understanding its existence, maybe not the full depth of it. Because you and I will never know how much God loves us. Just to give you a minuscule visual and thought of that, if you are a parent in the room and you think of your child... That child knows that you love him or her. They do not grasp how much you love him or her. They just don't get it. They don't get it. But he says for this reason, and to help us out, we have to break down what that reason is. Because if you'll remember, last week he started for this reason, and then he dovetailed into something else altogether. We're coming back to that reason. For this reason. What is the reason? What is the reason that Paul is about to pray all that he prays? What is the reason that Paul is about to praise in the way that he's going to praise? The reason is for this reason. He begins to talk about how the unifying work of God works, love of God works. And the reason is this, that God in Jesus has reconciled all of humanity who trust him to, to know him. That in the death and the resurrection of Jesus... God has made it so that every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every people group can be united in the person of Jesus. There's no longer Jew or Gentile is what he'll say in another text. God has bound us all together. So we come into a space like this with all of our backgrounds and all of our thought patterns and everything that's given us those thoughts and those, those thought patterns and those backgrounds. And God in Jesus has done a work to make us one. Not just us as one, but we are bound together with brothers and sisters in Christ from throughout the history of space and time. We are a united people because of what God has done for us in Jesus. He's redesigned, redirected, and reorchestrated the way that the life of a person who has faith in Him can work. So you look at the text, for this reason. 
And Paul's about to start moving us in a direction. You're beginning to see him pray for us in this passage, but in chapter 4, he's going to begin to give us directions. And more than just directions for how to live, these are directions for how we can live and worship God practically. And as Paul does this, he does it in a way that is unlike the entirety of our world. He does it in reverse of how we would. Because he's going to pray and then he's going to direct. Where most of us like to demand change and then we ask God to do something. Paul works differently. He says, for this reason, I pray. I kneel before the Father. One of my favorite texts in the entirety of the Bible. I was asked by some kids this summer. They said, what's your favorite Bible verse? I said, well, my favorite verse is 1 John 2, 6. My favorite chapter, or my favorite section of verses is Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. My favorite chapter is Romans chapter 8. My favorite book is Colossians. My favorite testament is the old one. And my favorite Bible is this one. They just looked at me. I didn't ask that, buddy. One of my favorite texts in the whole of the Bible is the Lord's Prayer. We close out our services together each week with it. I've had a conversation this week with some church members. They said, something like, I, I really I love that. But you say debtors and not trespasses. I said, that's because that's the better word. A couple of times in my life, I've sat down and I've tried to write about the Lord's Prayer because I do like to write from time to time. I can't get over the hump of our Father. Transparency, I, I, I find it hard to talk about my dad. We weren't close. He struggled with substance abuse my entire life. He made excuses Sometimes he wasn't there. Yet God, for every one of us who is longing and every one of us who is lacking for a fulfilling idea of what a father is, God in Jesus has provided that to us. So when Jesus says, you can pray our father, what he's saying to me and what he's saying to you is this, the entire work of Jesus summarized here, this God who is far away can be near to you. Because the unity that Jesus offers, the far becomes near. Because of Jesus, the unknown can be known. Because of Jesus, those who were unlovable can be loved. I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Now there's this whole notion taking place among commentators as to what's taking place here. This is Paul more than likely referencing Isaiah chapter 45. There's an idea of a bowing before the Father. There is also what we said too, which was a pretty well circulated letter at the time. And the notion was this idea of every knee bowing, every tongue confessing that Jesus is Lord. This is a prominent thought for these people. You notice this text is helping us see every family in heaven and on earth is named. We are kneeling by the Father. Every, every person is named after Him. God's letting us see something unique that's taking place. And He's showing us what God's doing. God's reminding the entirety of creation that He made everyone. And the work of Jesus on the cross is capable of saving anyone and everyone. 
So there's this whole notion that you'll hear sometimes among people in certain uh, bins of theological thought that it's almost as if we're crass with the idea of being separated from God. And so we find that to be a joking thing. There's nothing funny about that. If there's any joy or glee or satisfaction or humor in that people will be separated from God for eternity, you might be. Regardless of your theological bend. No matter what you know. In this prayer, he prays these things and it breaks down. God will grant. God's going to act. And when God acts, you will be. Because we're a unified people in Christ, I'm praying that you'll be strengthened in your inner being through the power of His Spirit. Why would God use this language to pray that we as a believing people would be unified? That the micro-church that meets here at 1027 on a Sunday, that the church as a whole that is bound together by the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus, why would we pray, why would Paul pray for the unity of the church. Because everything else is going to attempt to divide us. The accuser will attempt to divide us. We will be battling division for forever on this side of eternity. Things trying to break down the bond that Jesus has forged. What are those things? Well, sin, of course. Sin will cause problems. Tom Brady, yes, he will cause problems. Loveless doctrine, yes. Petty issues, yes. If you are wondering what petty issues would divide a church... Let me drive you to any church that is over 75 years old and we can have discussions with them about what took place when they changed the color of their carpet. (laughs) Or if you are to go to a church with a cemetery, the number of fights that they have had over membership meaning that you get a spot in the graveyard. These are real things that cause churches to disband. He prays that that we will know God loves us more than we can understand and that we will be bound together by that. By the power of His Spirit. All week long I've I've been praying for you and, and again, more transparency, I don't pray for you as much as I should. All week long as I work through this text, I'm thinking through you. And I'm thinking through the things that I pray for in regard to you and how God will work in you. And so often people give you prayer requests and and it's a to-do list. And there's nothing wrong with you saying, hey, I need you to pray that this happens. Or, Or you'll get a prayer request because someone's sick and we should definitely pray for people who are sick. The Bible directs us to do so. But... Over and over, I was thinking about what this text says, and I I wrestled with that we would pray that God would fill you by the power of His Spirit 
So for believing people who are attempting to live a united life in a divided world that God would fill you by the power of His Spirit, the broken body, shed blood of Jesus, making it possible for us to be living embodiments of what God has done for us in Jesus. So I'm writing names down all week. On my notepad where I work through notes in an analog format. I've got your, some of your names on my whiteboard in the conference room. I've got names of church members. I've tried to remember to text some of you this week. Just to let you know I'm praying for you. And I'm not just praying that you will be able to do your job. Even though I want you to do your job. Or that you'd be a good mom or you'd be a good dad. I'm praying that God would fill you by the power of His Spirit. Because when God does that in the hearts and minds of His people, those other things fall into place. That we would be filled by the power of the Spirit of God. That we would trust Him. That we would be united. I pray that He may grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with power in your inner being through His Spirit. One theologian says this, Man must be invigorated by God's Spirit before he is able to grasp God's wisdom and hold on to his knowledge. The word according there is awesome and it's helpful for us because it lets us know it's not a matter of... We are filled according to the riches of God's glory, not out of the riches of his glory. Think about it. If a wealthy person... I don't know who, what, how you define wealthy. For me, it means you've got $700. If a wealthy person were to say to you, here's $200. You've got what a good friend of mine calls walking around money. You can go around, you can spend some money, that's fun. But if a person who is wealthy includes you in all that they have, they add you to their inheritance. You're made part of a family. You're including in this inheritance. And he... And in so doing, he has bound you together with all that he is into the future. And when you look at this text, what God is doing for us when it says that we are bound together according to the riches of his glory. This is not saying that Jesus gave you a little bit and said, go with it. He's grafted you in. He's brought you in so that what he does and how he does it it, in, it invades every aspect of your life from this point forward. It shows us how to be the people that God would have us to be. Because we know who we belong to. And He's praying here that we will know that God loves us more than we can understand. And our definitions and our understanding and, and the way that we, for whatever reason, have chosen to grasp those things, sometimes we believe that God loves us based on our circumstance. We all have bad circumstances. Some of them have worse than others. But the love that God has for us is based in what Jesus has done for us. We look to what Christ has done to know the depths of God's love for us. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. 
He's going to dwell in you. So for those of us who have been united with Jesus by the power of the Spirit, we are people who are brought into relationship with God and He's going to dwell in our hearts through faith. A faith that is a gift that He's given us. We can trust Him because He's done that. And He says, I pray that you will be rooted and firmly established in love. Dwell in our hearts. Rooted and established. The notion of dwelling in our hearts is that He has access to you. This is not simply about you becoming a Christian. It's about how when we have trusted in Jesus, He gets access to everything. You may not use this language. There are people in our lives that are garage door friends. If you don't know what a garage door friend is, it means this. There are people that when they come to your house, you make sure the garage door is shut because you don't want them to see your chaos. Anybody know what I'm talking about? These are people that you don't want to see the bicycles. You don't want them to see the ant poison. You don't want them to see the, all of the stuff. You don't want them to trip over the stuff. They cannot see everything. You make sure that you shut certain doors to your home so they don't see the laundry that you hypothetically have in those hidden rooms. You only want them to see what you have neat and what you have tidy. You don't want them to have access to the deepest, darkest parts of your home. You get to go to the table. If I let you sit on my couch, that's cool. My dog licks you, that's on him. But they are shut off from other places. You've allowed them access, but it's limited access. When this passage, when, when Paul is praying that the church would have Christ dwell in their hearts through faith, that word means that he, gets act, that he wants access to everything. And I know in spaces like this, we live tidy, sanitized lives. And there are many of us who would say that we are believers in Jesus, but there are things in our hearts and in our minds that we don't give Him access to. And Jesus could kick the door down, but you give Him access. We don't tell anybody that we struggle with pornography. We, we don't let anybody know that we argue with our spouse. That it's hard being a parent. That our jobs are difficult. That we hate our jobs. So we just, everybody gets to see that everything looks okay. And it's just not. And Jesus wants access to all of that mess. Why is he not getting it? I'm not just you, I'm asking me. What are you walling off from the Lord? What are you hiding that can't be hidden? Uh, he uses two words, rooted and grounded. Rooted is an agricultural term. We know. An orange tree, you don't get a banana from it. An orange tree grows oranges. Uh, grounded, 
Orange is growing trees, right? I Googled that this morning. Grounded, architectural. You may have noticed there are a number of new restaurants in Lake Jackson. Number of new restaurants, a, a number of less employees. That's just how the world works now. Whenever I see a new restaurant pop up in town, my first thought is, what is that? Really, my first thought is, man, I hope that's a Chipotle. <laughs> my next thought is, what is that? La Madeline, that's what we need. We need a French soup restaurant in the Gulf of Texas. McAllister's, yes, more people here need diabetical tea. If I drive through a small town, there are certain buildings that used to be something that are no longer that. But if you, if you ever drive by an old pizza hut, no matter what they've made it into, an insurance shop, a, a floral, a place where you buy flowers, because I don't know what floral places are called, a patio store, we all know that it used to be what? A pizza hut. Because the building has a, the, the, all of it looked like it used to be a pizza hut. For those who Paul prays for here, and because the Bible is timeless, who he prays for into the end of forever, when people look at what the fruit that you're bearing, do they see anything that looks like the love of Jesus? When they look at the architecture of your life, what's the, what grounds you? Does it look like you're building everything on top of Jesus? These are the questions that he's asking. These are what he's praying for. And then he moves into these dimensions, and I don't want us to miss them. 18 and 19. That you may be able to comprehend with all the saints, that's every believer, throughout the space-time continuum, what is the length and width, the height and the depth of God's love. And to know that God's love surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with the fullness of the Spirit of God. He says, I want you to know that His love surpasses knowledge. This is an intentional oxymoron. I want you to know that you can't really get it. He then gives examples that we can find in Old Testament teachings and some New Testament writings of Paul. He uses words that would allude to those. One is the width. What's the width? It's the expanse of the earth. The limited, their limited knowledge, all of it's the width, the length, the entirety of time. Psalm 24 or Psalm 27 alludes to the, the totality of time, the depth, the pit that is our sin and how it has fully separated us from God. The height seated with Christ at the right hand of God. So 
He's saying no matter how far you go or how far back or how far into the future of time that you may, be, you may have access to, no matter how deep your sin is, I want you to know God's love does miraculous things. He brings people who are far away near to Him. He brings people who are in the depths of their sin to be seated with Him at the right hand of God. These dimensions are at work and He's invited us to grasp the reality of God's love in light of every crook and every crevice of the human experience. 20 and 21 are a doxology. We sing a doxology to close our services out. I won't sing it. Jared still won't let me sing. But in 20 and 21, you see it. This praise. He shifts from this attitude of prayer to an attitude of praise and gratitude. I know what God can do, and I really believe that He's going to do it. To Him who is able to do above and beyond all, though He asks or think according to the power of of work according to the power that works in us to him be glory in the church and in the Christ for all to all generations forever and ever forever ever he tells us this to remind us as believers that God he praises God because we can know that he loves us more than we can we get to know that Two times in 20, he uses power words. He, he, he uses, he can empower according to his power. God wants to work in you. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations. When you read through this, there are echoes of what Jesus prays in John 17 at the high priestly prayer. When, when Jesus prays, before he's crucified. He prays for his people. He prays for himself. He prays for his people. He prays that those of us who are in him, those who would follow him, the disciples, and, and to an extent us, will make Jesus known. One theologian says this, God is glorified in the church as it displays his power and love. And God is glorified in Christ because his death brought the church into existence. I, I don't know why you church, and I'm not sure if it's a verb or not. But I know this, that we all fall short of seeing the value of what God has made us part of in Jesus. that if we look at the history of the church, there are names of people that I quote in here regularly who are long since passed away and gone to be with the Lord. Jesus loves just as much as He loves these theologians. That Jesus loves you as much as that pastor that you listen to on your podcast. Would we hear that? Whoever your guy is, whoever your Bible study teacher is that you love to listen to, please never allow 
yourself to be divided from this central truth. God loves you just as much. He wants you to be bound to something that's just as important. He's made it possible for your life to matter. When you finish chapter 3, you go into chapter 4 because that's how numbers work. And the next three chapters are all practical obedience, but they are also what it looks like to live lives of worship because Jesus has bound you to something significant. Here's what I want to do this morning to close out. Um, Jared's going to come and we're going to have a time of prayer. You to bow your heads. My elders and my life group leaders, I'm going to ask you guys to be aware if any of this resonated with you this morning. The idea that you're not giving God, you're not seeing that God has full access. You're not welcoming Him. And you would like for someone to pray for you. Jared's going to pad for a few moments and then we can pray for you. We'll do it right now. Actually, the Bible tells us to pray for each other. I don't know what happens where we've disconnected things so much. So with my life group leaders aware, if you're in this space and you would say, hey, I I really, I need someone to pray for me that I will be filled with the strength of Jesus. If you could either stand up or raise your hand right now. Like I'm going through a lot. Can somebody just please come pray for me right now? If that's you, could you put, put your hand up or stand up right where you are? I've got hands. Can we just start moving? My leaders, can you move? Okay, we're moving. If you're in a place where you feel you're divided from, the, from what the church is. Maybe you're offering limited access. Maybe, maybe that resonated with you. We'd love to pray with you. Again, we need to pray more. More, not less. We're going to kind of sit in this for the next few moments. Jerry's going to play, and, and if you need to move to a place of prayer, a posture of prayer, kneeling at your chair, at the front of the room, at the back with me, just let's pray.